This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Well, this morning we considered what it means to live our lives in ways that bless others, how we can be intentional about hospitality as we eat with others, what it means to listen to God and be attentive to his leading in our lives, and how we can live a life where we constantly have a posture of learning about Jesus and how he lived and how we may be equipped to follow his example. Well, the final word and fifth habit from this uh, BELLS acronym is S for sent. That's right. Now, there are, of course, those whom God specifically calls as overseas missionaries. We have some among us this evening. I see, saw the cornfields a moment ago. Uh, the Twitchells are around. Of course, Chinghua and Jeannie. Um, others who are currently serving overseas, Julianita Hendricks, and those who've done this kind of work in the past. Um, Renee and Ardeth Smith, Becky Kennedy, Grant and Wendy Lamarcan, Bailey Nichols, and I'm probably missing others. Bernardis, thank you. Frank's right here. Thank you, Frank. Sorry. Um, who else have I missed? Timmy, yeah. Elizabeth, you have? You both have. Great. Okay. So, um, in the first chapter of Acts, St. Luke, uh, who um, is the author of Acts, of course, as well as the gospel, tells us that right before Jesus ascended into heaven, he told his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's Acts 1 verse 8. And we might think of that today as this commissioning, and of course we know from, else, um, from another gospel that the last words of Jesus were indeed the great commission to go into all, all the earth. Um, but we can think of this as being local to Jerusalem, national to Judea and Samaria, and international to the ends of the earth. And in a moment, we're going to focus in on what it, that might mean for us locally. But I want us first to hear a little bit more from Chinghua and Jeannie tonight about... Um, what it means for them being sent in an international context. So let's have a chat. So uh, Chinghua and Jeannie, do come up. Uh, Jeannie requested the little chair. <laughs> so um, I'd, I'd love it if you could tell us a little bit um, about your own calling uh, into ministry and then more specifically into international missions. Chinghua, would you, would you begin? Yeah, I became, I became Christian the first year in university. I was from Malaysia and uh, I went down to Singapore. I met a, was staying in a hostel with a group of Christians um, and uh, that's where I first met the Lord. And the second year of my Christian life, which was also the second year of my university, I joined a student retreat, and um, during that retreat, there was a conversation going on between me and God. <laughs> and he, told, he asked me, um, you have one life, how do you want to live it? So I replied, yeah, um, I want to live it in the most valuable way, most worthy way. So what is that? You know, the question came back to my mind. And I said, mm, it must be something more valuable. Uh, this something more valuable should last beyond this earth. Um, because I think during my quiet time, uh, those days, I remember reading, this earth is going to pass away, and something will not pass away, and those should be more valuable. So silver and gold is not going to be it. I was just like another Christian. I want to be a rich Christian to bless the church. <laughs> yeah, but that question caused me to think, yeah, silver and gold, I can't carry it with me. And what are those? I came down to two things. One is the Word of God that will never pass away. Heaven and earth may pass away, 
but the word of God will, re- will not return to God void. And the other thing is human being that God has created. It's either eternally with God or without God. I had a motorbike accident two years before that. In the split second before my motorbike hit the car in front, the split second, uh, as a non-Christian, I knew there must be something beyond this, but I didn't know what it was. And when I became Christian, I know there is a life after death, just whether it's God or not God. So I decided that's the two things I'll live for. And my senior said, good, you heard God correctly. He'll tell you when. So I finished my study, worked for three years, and one night in church there was a rally. Michael Green was preaching, and I heard God using Isaiah 55 uh, to speak to me. Call on me while I'm near, seek me while I may be found. So that was the time I decided, yes, now is the time to let go of my salary when I can still find God when my faith was strong enough to let go of that, to get a meager pay to join the church, you know. (laughs) Uh, So that was a call to ministry, and I obeyed. Um, After serving about three years, one of my senior colleagues invited me to uh, three days fast and pray, just two of us. First time in my life, never fasted and prayed before. And that was a three very significant day in my life. I went there with all the plans before me, my responsibility in the church. I was leading one of the congregation, was in charge of the youth group. I was in charge of the whole cell system in the group, uh, supporting the other cell leaders. I said, Lord, what is going to be it next year? That was August 94. So I was thinking about mission. But on the second day of my praying, the word, Thailand just appeared in front of my eyes. It's like written in fire, Thailand. I said, wow. I've never been to Thailand before. Not a single word of Thai. Only knew one Thai friend, that's all. But I called my wife. I walked out of the retreat center, called my wife. I said, my wife said, yeah, if God say Thailand, let's go. <laughs> she was a school teacher. But we both had a missionary calling when we got married. But we just don't know when. Aware, so that was the, uh, the the spark, and I talked to my pastor. My pastor felt a resonance, and he asked me to take a trip to Thailand with my family. That was my first trip ever to Thailand, and every night I asked God speak to me to confirm this that it was not hallucination because lack of food. And on the last day, when I was listening to this missionary giving a Bible study in Thai, I was following with the NIV Bible. I came to Genesis chapter 17, verse 8. The land of which you are an alien, I will give to you and your descendants as possession. So that was how I felt, an alien. And the Lord gave me a promise. So I went back and went to Bible school for two years because I knew... It's going to be long term. And then I went to the field in 97. So uh, how long were you in Thailand for? Uh, in total, 14 years in Thailand. Yeah. And uh, how far is Thailand from Singapore anyway? About 20 hours drive. <laughs> Two hours by flight. <laughs> okay, well, I'll come back to you in a minute. Jeannie, how, will you talk, share a little bit with us about your own sense of calling into ministry and mission? Thank you. Uh, First of all, I just want to say that I'm just so thankful for all the missionaries here and the missionaries who have been sent out by the Lord. I am very encouraged by the number of missionaries that is sent out by Ascension Ascension Church, and I'm just very encouraged by that. So thank God for all of your years of faithfulness serving the Lord, not just overseas, but locally, like in SAMS and in in Urban Impact. I think that's wonderful. Um, I, I came to hear God's calling in my life when I was 14 years old. I had a dream. I, I dreamed that I was worshipping the Lord. I was just lifting up my hands and just kneeling down. And I, I knew that I was in God's presence. And, and in this dream, I heard a voice. And this voice, I knew it was God. And in this voice, it says, Yahweh. That's my Chinese name. Yahweh, go, I send you. And when I first heard that, my first reaction was like, I shook my head. 
like what Jack is doing right now. Jack likes to shake his head, you know. And, and I, because in my mind, it was like to where, how, when, and, and all those questions. And, and I, I just asked a lot, like where and all. And, but the voice came again. It was even more imperative. It was with a lot of authority and a sense of urgency. And he said, Yahweh, go, I send you. And so I woke up and I was like, whoa, what was that about 14 years old? And I wrote out in my journal. I remember I went and wrote it down in my prayer journal. And I said, like, Lord, could you please tell me more about this dream? So the following week, um, there was a diocesan youth board camp. So, so this means that all the youths from the different Anglican churches, we came together and have a camp. And the speaker, the invited speaker for that camp, was uh, a missionary to the Philippines. So he shared about many of his adventures, of how God called him, and, and everything like that. And when, at the last meeting, I remember, he says that, is there anybody whom you know that God has called you? Would you like to stand and dedicate your life to him? And so I says, well, I think that that dream was pretty obvious. <laughs> so I said, yes, Lord, I will, say, I, will, I will want to go to wherever that you've called me to. And so I wrote it down again in my journal, and I was very prayerful about it. And in my church, um, our church, my home church in Singapore, they would organize mission trips for every holiday there is. So in, the, in Singapore, there is the June holiday and the December holiday. So I would always save up money. And even though I didn't have enough money, I would say, can I please pay my installment when I come back? And so I would save money and I say, okay, Lord, I'm going to go for this trip. Could you tell me, please, is this the place? And I'll go to the next one and say, is this the place? Is this the place? And I'll write down. And I remember there was one time I, I had another dream. Yeah, God speaks to me through dreams, apparently. And he said, he, in this dream, I dreamed that I was in this heart. And it's wooden floor. And there was just one door in front and one, door be, uh, one window behind. And there was a big field. And there were many children running and playing. And they came and woke me up. And, says, and, and they spoke to me in a language I couldn't understand. And I, and I got up and I played with them. And I woke up from the dream. And again, I journaled it now. I says, Lord, is this the place? So my pastor, um, he asked me, how was the trip? I says that, I think this is, oh, I, say, I, 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 I had this dream about it. And so I continue again, going for mission trips and, and, and going and searching and asking the Lord, is this the place? Is this the place? And, I, and um, there was once I, uh, because I work as a chaplaincy worker, um, in my church, we, we serve the, the girls, students in St. Margaret Secondary School. So I remember I brought a group of girls to Thailand. And the place that we brought to, to stay, it was exactly like my dream. I got in, and I remember I was talk talking to a girl. And then she's like, like, Yahweh, why are you not talking? I said, because this is like my dream. And I knew that, and that was in Thailand, and that, that's how I knew that God has called me to Thailand. So um, I went back again, I told my pastor about it, and he says, that, okay, let's get you prepared. And so part of my training was to go to have my studies at Trinity Theological College, and that was part-time. And the other part of my training was to serve in the church and to continue to serve in the chaplaincy ministry. And it's, it was wonderful to see that whatever I'm learning in school is being, I can practice it in what I am serving in, in, in this church and in a school context, in a, as in a chaplaincy work context. So yeah, that's how eventually um, he introduced me to Canon E. Chinghua, and that's how he kind of facilitated everything. Yeah. Okay. So a question for both of you is a two-part question. You know, what do you love about your work as an international overseas missionary? And what's the hardest? <clears throat> uh, I answer the hardest one first. The first thing was to feel like an idiot. <laughs> uh, because I don't know a single word when I landed. And uh, when I wanted to buy a nail to hang something in my house, I went to the shop. And the guy said, okay, he came up with a hammer. <laughs> <laughs> But that was sanctifying for me because all the learning that I know, all the experience I knew could only come out with the level of language that I have. So if primary three, that is my primary three 
thought. I can't appear to be intelligent at all. So that humility is important, that my value is not what I can say or impress others, but who I am in Christ, really. So that was my first uh, journey as a missionary. Uh, I thought I was sacrificing for the Lord, but actually not at all. I didn't feel that at all. Um, that is not the difficult part as I imagined. But the joy of it is the lives that were changed by Jesus because we were there. When you are, people ask me, when I think about those 14 years, what do I think about? It is the faces of these boys and girls, young men and women, that is touched by Jesus because we were there. Um, I think the hardest thing is to try is trying to navigate the cultural um, um, the cross cultural all the nuances and all the things I'm always l just learning that day Jerry just came back and says that you know the Thai people they don't drink directly from the bowl <laughs> they're always using a, a spoon and, and you know we're, we're always trying to learn new stuff and and to I think because in the Thai culture it's also they they, um, they have this whole thing of being krengzai, you know, being just um, very polite and not wanting to say what they want exactly. So every day we're just like, when we say something and we ask them something, um, what is it that they really want? So that's what we are, I'm, I'm, I'm finding it. And I'm learning every day. And I've learned that as I serve with them, is to ask them first what they think before I say that this is what I think. So that's one thing which I've, I've learned. Um, the joy of serving the Lord in missions is seeing his redemptive power at work in the lives of the people that we, that we work with. I, um, I can remember... Um, one of the, okay, so yesterday, Jerry was telling me that there was an electrical um, cutoff. There was just no electricity, and even the traffic lights were not working, so it was a bit chaotic. And I remember that there was a time whereby there was no electricity and we had school. And two boys, they came to me and they said, Teacher Yahweh, there is no electricity and there's so many things that we want to do in class, but we can't. And I said, what should we do? And they says, let us pray and ask God. And that month for chapel, it was about Jesus is powerful. So, so I said, okay, let's pray about it. And true enough, a couple of hours has passed by and it came back. And the boys, they ran to me and says, Teacher Yahweh, now the lights are back, you know, and the fans are back and the aircon's back. Jesus is powerful. <laughs> so I, I, I am just very um, humbled and, and just so thankful to see this in the lives of the people that we talk to and we reach out to. And um, the fact that to, let, to know that they know that God is real, and that God answers prayers. And um, there was this person that we've talked to, one of the neighbors that is down the road. And she said, he said, hey, can you please pray that we'll be able to sell our place at another province? And true enough, they sold because they found it very, very hard to sell. And within that week, it was sold. And another person just texted me just two days back, says, um, he, she told me that she's, she wants to sell her car. And I said, okay, let's pray about it. And then her car was sold. So I, I think it's amazing to see how God is showing up himself in a very deep and personal way to the people. And they know that God is real and God answers his prayer, um, answers prayers. Thanks, Jeannie. So uh, most of us will likely never serve as overseas missionaries. Um, so how can the mission work that you are engaged in in Thailand connect in any way with the work that we're called to in Pittsburgh. Um, the way I understand a life of mission um, is about crossing a distance. And that distance is not necessarily just geographical distance. It could be just a linguistic distance. It could be a social distance. So when you are here, you reach out to a group of people that you do not normally reach out to. You're actually doing cross-something mission. So when you're doing your ESL uh, volunteering, 
Those are the people you do not normally mix with. You are crossing a ling ling linguistic distance as well. Why is crossing a list, uh, distance so important? Because if all Christians refuse to cross the distance, there won't be world evangelization. Right? Somebody needs to cross that. It may be across the road, uh, across our comfort zone. And that, I think that is the missionary life. And that begins wherever we are as a Christian, whether God has called us to a cross-cultural situation or not. That's how I see it. I think that prayer is so important in, in the work of missions, and it doesn't matter where we are. We can be on the field or we can be back home right where we are. So I think prayer is such an important, important element. And I, hope, I think that's something that we can all be involved in. Yeah. Okay, so final question. Um, Jeannie, you've been in uh, the States for, what, a week now? Um, and it's your first time? Um, and Tsinghua, you've been a few times. Um, but my question is, what, if anything, have you noticed about the American way of doing things compared to either the Singaporean way or the Thai way? Um, and what might you take back that is good or challenging to you from what you've seen here? And what words of encouragement or challenge do you have for us? Who wants to go first? <laughs> yeah, I'm encouraged to see the um, generosity of the people in this land. Um, before I ever stepped foot in America, I knew from Thailand that every major denomination in Thailand, Presbyterian, the CMA, the uh, AOG, the Baptists, were all planted by Americans. And when I come here, meeting different churches, the heart of mission is quite unique. Quite unique. You, you give uh, quite generously to people and wanting to reach out. Um, <clears throat> those are things that we are still growing as a church. Uh, we consider ourselves missioner, but I think you had a very long tradition uh, of that and heritage that is very valuable. And we are learning from you. We are learning from the mission society here and the churches here. Uh, but one thing I do observe that is a bit different is when I went to LA, uh, attended a church um, that invited me there, I look at the mission notice board. I think there must be 40 or 50 projects that people are involved in in the church. And it's small amount all over the world. And I just wondered, would it be more strategic if all these things are collected to something more targeted and long-term? That you produce something that will last over there, that will continue over there, not doing too much, saying no to something in order to say yes to something together. And that's, uh, I, I think, you will make some lasting impact some, uh, with gathered resources. Um, one thing which I really am very inspired in this trip here is the fact of how inclusive you are towards the children in your community. And I really, really love that. On Sunday when I had the joy and privilege to, to worship with you, and I see how Jonathan Warren, you facilitated the children talk. And I thought that was so lovely because it's, it's telling them that, hey, kids, you are part of the church. You are very important to us. And you matter. You matter to God and you matter to us. And, and, and we want to grow and walk with you in your journey of faith. And I think this is something which I really hope that we can grow um, in, in from where I'm coming from, where, where I'm from. And the other thing is I, I really like and I'm very happy to see what you guys are doing for Godly Play. It's so engaging. And the part about I wonder, to hear the thoughts and the, the thought processes of the children, and then from there you join in to where they are and to continue to walk with, to walk with them within, in, in the ways of the Lord. So I think that's really lovely. Any challenge for you? Any challenge for you? 
There's, there's one. Maybe get that basketball down first. There's one over there. I just realized. Let me challenge for you. I think that um, coming from the Thai culture, sometimes when we go, when we tell them something, I realize that I have to go one whole. If the point is here, I have to go one whole round to get to them. And I think that um, coming from a very Singaporean culture, it is very easy to be so direct. And, and just like, why don't we just get this done and you know, be fast and all. So I think that's something that in generally we can all learn to be sensitive to how they are and where they are at and, and to just go with them, go one round in order to get that point across to them. So if I'm hearing you correctly, you're saying we need to be a bit less blunt. Is that what you're saying? And go, go round. You just went one round. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, so... Be I was exemplifying Yes, very good. Well, be be before we let you sit down, I'd um, love to pray for you. And uh, I wonder, um, is there anything particular that you'd like us to be praying for you? Um, yeah, the next things on my mind for Thailand is that we thank God for a group of six or seven leaders, actually more than that, about 10 of them, who are the key leaders, next generation leaders for Thailand. And next year, we intend to gather them together to look at the next 20 years and for them to own that vision among themselves, to be a diverse leadership that is also united. That's my prayer for, for them. I think um, for Chiang Mai, we've got a group of wonderful local leaders and we've got the first generation and the second generation. So could you please pray with me that the Lord will continue to lead them and guide them. And please pray for the kindergarten work, that the Lord will use this as a powerful platform to reach out to the middle and upper middle income families and their children, the parents and their children, and also for the CLC work, that we will continue to be faithful in, in, in being where they are, to listen to their needs and concerns and to just walk with them. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you so much for Tsinghua, uh, for your call on his life and his family. Lord, it's very exciting to hear how uh, you are using him and the Diocese of Singapore with their vision to reach these various nations and in particular Thailand. Lord, we thank you for these 10 um, Thai leaders and we do pray with Tsinghua for this gathering next year as they begin to look ahead strategically for the next 20 years. Lord, would you give them a vision of what you are calling them to next? And would you continue to empower them by your Holy Spirit? And Lord, we thank you for Jeannie um, and her husband Jerry and the girls. We pray blessing on this family. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the kindergarten we thank you for these children. We thank you for the mission to reach uh, this, these particular people in Chiang Mai through the children and to their families. Lord, would you continue to bless this work and the other work they do in the community? And Lord, would you continue to raise up more leaders locally and from afar? And so we ask these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. So Michael Frost, in this little book, um, Surprise the World, challenges every Christian to identify themselves as a missionary, every Christian, to be a missionary, to be a sent one. And he doesn't mean by that that we've all got to go to Thailand or Singapore or you name the country. And as you probably know, the English word mission comes from the Latin missio, which means to send out or to be pushed out. And I'm sure you've all heard the term mass, as in the Roman Catholic mass. Now, that's typically used as shorthand for the whole Eucharistic service. Did you go to mass today? Um, but it actually comes from the last Latin words of the liturgical service. Ite missa est, 
which means literally, go, the dismissal is made. And that's how the service ends. And so for shorthand, oh, we're going to mass. But given the Latin root of that word missa, meaning sent, it means that the dismissal is not merely letting you know that the service is over and you can go now. Rather, it is reminding us that we are being sent out on mission. And of course, in our liturgy, we make that explicit every week in the post-communion prayer. When we pray together, what is it? And now, Father, send us out to do the work you have given us to do. And what is that work? To love and serve you as faithful witnesses of Christ our Lord. Faithful witnesses. That is what we are sent out every Sunday to be. And clearly our task as um, Christians, as ones who are sent out by God, is more universal than the call to some to go overseas. And if, as Frost suggests, mission embraces the work of all Christians, as he puts it, to glorify God in their daily lives by alerting others to the universal reign of God. Let me say that again. Um, Mission embraces the work of all Christians to glorify God in their daily lives by alerting others to the universal reign of God through Christ. Well then, with that definition, every follower of Jesus, every believer is a missionary. Each one of us is called and sent to share the love of God in Christ to all those whom we meet. Well, this evening, I want us to try and put a little bit of flesh on this. What does that mean? Now, we've heard a little bit about what it's meant in Thailand, but what about at your place of work or with your next-door neighbor? And quoting from another book uh, that he's written, Frost talks about our lives being like a trailer to a movie. Do you remember that piece if you've read it? I just want to read you a very uh, quick extract on page 84. Trailers are tasters, short film versions of the soon-to-be-released feature, and they usually include the best special effects or the funniest scenes or the most romantic moments, depending on the film, of the upcoming feature. Now, watch those around you in the theater at the end of each trailer. If it has done its job, usually one person will turn to the other and say, I want to see that movie. I have to tell you, when I, when I go to the, the cinema and see the trailers, I'm often saying, well, I don't want to see that one. <laughs> That's another one to avoid. Um, but, you know, sadly, all too often, I think it's possible for others to look at the church and say, well, that's a place to avoid. So the challenge is for us to live in a way that is surprising to the world. Lives that are, in fact, effective trailers that are inspiring and invitational. And borrowing from N.T. Wright, Frost suggests a number of ways. They're not exhaustive, but he suggests a number of ways that we can be, if you like, effective trailers. And he, he talks about these four specific ways that our lives as followers of Jesus can be pointing to the reign of God. And the first is reconciliation. The good news of the gospel is all about reconciliation. Ultimately, it's about reconciliation between God and humankind. And Christ's finished work on the cross is at the very heart of our faith, as Qinghua reminded us, um, expounding that passage from Luke last night. And that reconciling work of Christ continues until he will come again. And Frost challenges us to both announce reconciliation, champion it, describe it, explain it, advocate for it, and demonstrate it by being reconciled to others, by brokering reconciliation among others. And to me, this is both super challenging and super exciting at the same time. It's exciting because when we see individuals or couples or families or churches coming together in reconciling love, that is such a beautiful and powerful witness to the reconciling work of Christ. 
But it's challenging because it's so very hard to do. It's hard because in our sinfulness or hurtness or self-righteousness or busyness or weakness and et cetera, et cetera, we often don't want to do the hard work of reconciliation. I'm ashamed to admit that for me there have been times when it's been more important to be right than to seek reconciliation. And of course, the work of reconciliation often requires being willing to make the first move, even if we're the ones who've been wronged. And so I wonder, are we those who are willing to make the first move? Reconciliation is our business as Christians, and it's our business as the church. I want to give one example, and then you're going to hear from some other people, but I want to give one example uh, from our recent history at, at Ascension. As most of you know, there was a split in the Episcopal Church in Pittsburgh in 2008. Indeed, it was 11 years ago this weekend that we held the diocesan convention where we voted to leave the Episcopal Church. Um, some of you will remember that time we were here, a group of us who were representatives for the diocese left at six o'clock in the morning on the Saturday of Laurelville weekend, and we drove to a meeting in Monroeville. Uh, Bishop Duncan had been deposed at that point, and so uh, I was elected to preside over that um, uh, meeting, and we came back late, and um, some of you may remember we had a debriefing over in the Solar House. I don't know what that room's called. Do you remember who was there? Yeah, quite a few of us, and we were sharing what had happened. Now, I don't want to rehearse all that happened over, uh, you know, a decade ago. But I do want to say something on this theme of reconciliation. I want to say something tonight, briefly, about um, the mediation that happened. You know, on the first day of the formal mediation sessions that uh, were conducted at the law offices of K&L Gates, each side was invited to make an opening statement. Now, due to a breakdown in communication, uh, we didn't get the memo. I blame our attorney. Um, but we didn't know uh, that we were meant to make an opening statement. And so he said to me, oh, Jonathan, you can, you can do that, right? What? <laughs> um, anyway, a representative from the tech diocese went first. And he was an experienced, very savvy corporate attorney. And he had a reputation for being pretty tough and uncompromising. And his opening statement was brilliant. It was well-crafted. It was very well-articulated. And I have to say, it was also deeply moving. As he began to speak, setting out what he believed should be the guiding principles for this mediation, he used some words that actually sounded familiar to me and with which I sat there thinking, yes, yes, I agree with that, I agree with that. And then after a moment, I thought, wait a minute, I wrote that. And, 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 and it, I had. He was quoting from an open letter that had been sent out six and a half years ago, which I'd frankly forgotten about. Um, it was a letter that I drafted with the help of Jeff Chapman from St. Stephen Sewickley. And, and I'll just quote from, from that letter. We had written, We hope and pray that in the coming days, the leaders and people in both our dioceses will find a way to seek blessing on one another. Specifically, we offer the following overarching principles in the hope that they might characterize the spirit of our efforts to resolve our differences. And there were three sections, and I'm not going to give you all the detail, but the headlines were mutual recognition, mutual forgiveness, mutual blessing, and release. And I have to tell you, that was very hard to do, to be willing to do that. And it, and it took time. It took a long time. So. You're right, Jeannie, sometimes you have to go round, and it takes a long time to go round. Anyway, back to the mediation. The representative from the Episcopal Church Diocese spoke of his sadness and sorrow for things that they had said and done that were harmful to us. And he also spoke of ways that we had spoken and we had acted that were deeply hurtful to them. So anyway, it was my turn to say something, and I did my best, rather less eruditely, I have to say. Um, but I 
acknowledged our own wrongdoing. And more particularly, I confessed my own self-righteousness, which, of course, is an absolute affront to the gospel. Do you remember the problem from yesterday's reading, the biggest sin? We just had a big talk about uh, human sexuality and gender up in the meeting house. The biggest sin that we heard yesterday from those scriptures was the sin of self-reliance and self-righteousness. So I asked for forgiveness and expressed our hope for a settlement that would enable us to move past our disagreements and that would allow us to focus on the work and ministry to which we each felt called. But the point is the tone was set for what became a most surprising and fruitful and exhausting mediation. And so all that is to say that we have a ministry of reconciliation. And ultimately, that reconciliation goes way beyond temporal things. It goes way beyond inter-church disputes. It goes to ultimate things, even concerning salvation. St. Paul writes about this ministry of reconciliation in 2 Corinthians. He says, if anyone is in Christ, there's a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So, we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. We entreat you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so the first way of the four from this uh, chapter that I'm underlining tonight, the first way that we can point to the reign of God is through reconciliation. All right, the second one that Michael Frost, stealing from N.T. Wright, uh, lists is through justice. We can be effective movie trailers for Christ by being a people that are passionately concerned about justice. Now, I think we have to acknowledge, sadly, We've seen too many wicked scandals of injustice in the church over the centuries and even in recent days. And yet the church does also have a long history that is actually quite good. Christian leaders have been at the forefront of justice issues. Luminaries like William Wilberforce come to mind. The British politician who shortly after he became a Christian in 1785 devoted his life to the abolition of the slave trade. Do you know what else he was famous for? Anybody know? Uh, manners. Yes, he was famous for manners, actually. Yes, he founded the RSPCA. And you don't know what that stands for, but it's... Do you? The Royal Society for Protection Against the Cruelty of Animals. He was, that was another justice issue. Um, and he also founded CMS, the Church Missionary Society. He was a pretty busy fellow. Um, but the point is, he was concerned about justice because God is concerned about justice. And today, here in, in out of the States, but all over the globe, you know, we think of the work of the uh, IJM organization, the International Justice uh, Mission, IJM is the world's largest anti-slavery organization, advocating for those who are victims of modern-day slavery, of which there are shocking numbers, particularly through sex trafficking and child labor. But IJM's uh, work goes beyond advocacy to assisting with the prosecution of perpetrators, rescuing slaves, providing aftercare to those who've been victims of sex trafficking or have been uh, uh, enslaved through child labor, etc. And this is the business of the church, to care about the poor and the refugee and the lonely. 
Well, to share something uh, of how justice plays out for one of our parishioners in her day-to-day -day work, I've asked uh, Rachel Becker, where are you, Rachel? Yeah, thank you, to come forward and um, to share something about how this affects her in her day-to-day -day work. So, Rachel, first of all, tell us what it is that you do. What is your work? I'm a mental health therapist at Pittsburgh Pastoral Institute. At, at where? Pittsburgh Pastoral Institute, also Christian Counselors Collaborative on one day a week. Thank you. And um, so how does your work, to use the language you've been using here, point to the reign of God? Or to put it another way, how are you a missionary Monday to Friday in Pittsburgh? That, <laughs> how long of an answer do you want? <laughs> um, so when Jonathan first approached me with this question, um, he was focusing on especially where justice fits in my work. So I'll start there. Um, I uh, probably about half of my clients um, come to see me because I receive, I'm paneled with Medicaid insurance. And so these are people who are among the poorest of the poor in our society or are seriously disabled. Those are the two criteria for, for being on that insurance. And through a series of circumstances, I have a large number of single mothers that I see. And as I walk with this group, questions come up about justice a lot. And the questions come up on a relational level, on a work level, on how they're handling their life in the world, but they also come up on a spiritual level. A lot of these people are Christians, they love God, and they are asking, in essence, does God see me in what I'm going through? Does God care about what I'm going through? And um, being a therapist, I don't always just simply say yes, that he does, even though that's what I profoundly believe. I, I ask them some more questions, um, but ultimately coming around to what is the witness of the Spirit in your life? What do you hear him saying? And as they hone in on that question, they re-encounter who God is to them. And that is um, a beautiful and powerful moment that I get to be a part of in people's lives. Okay. Thank you very much. Okay. We're going to have some quick snapshot voices. You're going to hear some more voices. So... Uh, the first example of how we can point to the reign of God and be missionaries is through reconciliation. The second is through the ministry of justice. And the third is through beauty. I'm sure many of us have experienced beauty pointing us towards God. Maybe through the majesty of a sunset or a mountain range. Maybe through music, whether sacred or secular. Michael Frost describes his own wondering about why music exists. On page 90 of his book, he says, the only conclusion I could come to was that it is a gift of God to his people, Christian and non-Christian alike. And he then quotes C.S. Lewis, who writes concerning beauty. For the beasts can't appreciate it. And the angels are, I suppose, pure intelligences. They understand colors and tastes better than our greatest scientists. But have they retinas or palettes? I fancy the beauties of nature are a secret God has shared with us alone. That may be one of the reasons we were made. Well, beauty matters. We are blessed to worship Sunday by Sunday in a beautiful church building with its stained glass, its Gothic tower, along with the furnishings inside, our altar and our pulpit, along with what goes on in that space. I think of, of the choir and the other music. Coming together to be something other than that which is simply material. Something that is beautiful for God. Sacred space. And you know, our architects that we've been working with were tasked with... Um, preserving this beauty while at the same time designing something that could expand our ministry and mission and designing something that would be filled with light. And, you know, the, the proposed new narthex is designed to be a welcoming, hospitable place that draws people in. And the, the glass and the steel parts of the proposed new addition are not merely kind of modern architectural ways of doing things, but rather they were designed very specifically coming out of listening to what we were saying to them 
And there is, I believe, a kind of theological and missional um, underpinning of this, which is about hospitality. And then the reusing of the old stones are there to demonstrate our continuity with the past, our sense of history and beauty. Anyway, that's just as an aside, but to, to say more about this as to where this can uh, touch our lives, I've asked uh, Amy Bornman to come up, Amy, um, and to talk a little bit more about how beauty matters in her life and work. So first of all, Amy, what is your work? Hi. Um, uh, this is Amy. <laughs> um, I'm an artist and a designer. Um, I would call myself an artist first, but that feels like a really personal practice, and my practice began really personally as um, just sort of a private sense of being really compelled by something beautiful that is Christ. Um, and my art practice is in sewing, so I began making quilts, and that was really a personal spiritual practice in just slowly making something over time slow, quiet stitches, and, and I would talk about that um, on the internet of all places. Um, and then from there, people began to ask me, I would like to learn how to do that too. Um, so that sort of shifted into making sewing patterns, which turned something that was sort of a private interest in making something slowly for myself, just because it was beautiful into something that has become more communal um, in a way of sort of sharing how you can sort of bring this practice of making something which is sort of a, you know, you can buy a quilt at the store. It's a little bit unproductive to spend all this time making something that's just for you to use maybe or to give to someone that you love. Um, but the time that you spend is really um, meaningful. Yeah. Um, so that's what it has turned into sharing is it went from something really personal to something that is now, that can be given to other people. So how does that translate into being a missionary and pointing to God and pointing others to God for you? Hmm. That's a really good question because a sewing pattern is not an inherently right. Christian. No, it's a very technical, like this is where you put the seam kind of thing. But I think the... Um, the thing that it is giving people is sort of a sense of dignity in that um, to, to spend time sewing something is to spend time paying really close attention to something that isn't um, necessarily productive for the world or um, it gives you a chance to slow down and to consider yourself and your family or someone that you'd like to give something to, to care for your body if you're making clothes. Um, to spend extra time putting like special embroidery on the hem of a garment, like that's just a beautiful thing. Um, but to spend time on something small and secret is like an act of human dignity, I think, and a spiritual act as well. Yeah. And um, tell us the name of your business. Oh, there, there's a secret Easter egg in my. Um, the name of my business is All Well which is derived from Julian of Norwich. Norwich. I learned today from our Englishman that it's not Norwich, it's Julian of Norwich. Um, I was taught that. <laughs> I, 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 I'm learning to teach English as a second language. <laughs> Julian of Norwich. So in um, Visions of Divine Love, there's the quote, all will be well, all will be well, and all manner of thing will be well or shall be well. Different translations, but that's sort of the name of the business is all well, which is, you know, it's a nice name. I get asked about it all the time, and every time I get to say, well, it's a English mystic named Julian of Norwich, and a couple of people are like, oh, is it Julian? So there's like that secret connection, too, between people. Yeah. Thank you, Amy. Thank you very much. We have a very creative God, and there are so many ways that we can share the beauty that he creates with others, that we can surprise the world, that we can live questionable lives in a good way. 
uh, are lives that make people ask questions of what we're doing and why we're doing it. So we thought about being missional through reconciliation, through justice, through beauty. And then the fourth one is uh, that uh, N.T. Wright talks about is about how wholeness is a way that we can point to God's reign and be missionaries where we are. Um, in this section of the book, Frost reminds us that in Luke 7, the imprisoned John the Baptist sends his followers to double-check that Jesus really is the Messiah. And Jesus' response to their questioning of his identity is really interesting. In Luke 7, we read, Jesus says, Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard, the blind receiving sight, the lame walking, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. In other words, the credentials Jesus presented to prove he was the Messiah, ushering in the universal reign of God, were the restoration of broken people. What is our mission statement at Ascension? A worshiping community, equipping God's people, sharing Christ's healing with a broken world. Let's say that together. A worshiping community, equipping God's people, sharing Christ's healing with a broken world. And it's this sharing of Christ's healing with a broken world that I want us to focus on just for a few minutes. And to help us think about this, I've asked Seema Weaver uh, to say a few words about wholeness and sharing Christ's healing in her life and in her work. Now, uh, Seema, you used to be uh, an overseas missionary, and now you are here serving God in Pittsburgh. Tell us how this comes together for you, being a missionary in Pittsburgh. Well, um, my husband and I are family physicians, and uh, prior to moving to Pittsburgh, we had been uh, living and working in a very rural village in India among some of the poorest people in the world. And when we realized it was time to come home, uh, we had heard of the East Liberty Family Healthcare Center in Pittsburgh as a place that offers uh, distinctly Christian health care to the poor. And we thought this might be a, a good fit for us. So we came and um, interviewed with Dr. David Hall, who is a member of this congregation who started the health care center about 35 years ago. And he said, um, we see people from all work walks of life um, many members of the Christian community in Pittsburgh come to the healthcare center, but we roll out the red carpet for the poor and the marginalized, the disenfranchised, the unlovable people that the rest of the medical community has um, cast out. And we said, this is where we want to work. So our daily work involves seeing a lot of people um, who really um, are among the most broken people in Pittsburgh. And we roll out the red carpet. Um, and as best as we are able, really invite them into a life of, uh, of health that involves um, a deep desire to see shalom for them um, and a freedom from addiction and really poor choices. Um, and little by little, we, we try to impact that. Thank you, Seema. Thank you. And thank you, Joe, and all those that work at East Liberty Family Care. So I want to suggest a fifth way. Uh, we're going to get four in the book, but uh, I think Tom Wright missed one. Um, and it's kind of a catch-all, um, which I would simply call through everyday ordinary life. Yes, through beauty. Yes, through wholeness. Yes, through reconciliation. Yes, through justice. But also through everyday ordinary life. The call to live as those who are sent is one that comes to, to be... It's a call to be everyday ordinary missionaries. And it's something that every Christian in this room can participate in. 
You don't have to be a priest or a doctor or an artist or a social worker. We can all participate in this way of living among our neighbors. This is not being an evangelist or an overseas missionary. Being, it's not being a professional Christian. It's just being someone who loves God and who loves their neighbor and is willing to obey the great commandment and the great commission. And it's about where we are among our neighbors, inviting our neighbors into our houses. And it can be very informal in a group, and it, can be, it doesn't have to be that scary. It can be taking a meal to a neighbor in need. It can be dropping off a card, visiting and praying with someone. Well, I've asked uh, Mark Bailey. Where's Mark? Come up, Mark, please, to come and share with us what it looks like for him in his life and work as a missionary. Now, now Mark used to be a professional Christian. He was a, a Baptist pastor. But your, your work now is, is something a little different. Tell us about it. First, I want to start off by saying, behold, ordinary. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, uh, I happen to work for a funeral home. I am a family advisor, and I am not a funeral director. I deal with people before death happens, and sometimes that are people who are perfectly healthy. Sometimes it's people who are on hospice. Sometimes they're young and they're doing it for themselves, and sometimes they're doing it for a parent uh, or even a grandparent. So that's what I do. And um, so how'd you get to be a missionary? Uh, how'd you get to point people to God in this work? Repeat that question. Yeah, so, so how'd you get to be a missionary? How, how'd you get, how does that daily work? enable you to point people towards God? You know, life is interesting enough, but when you deal with people who are dealing with death, all sorts of doors open up. It becomes very real, and a lot of motion is behind that, and I am in the position where I can talk to people um, about some of the hard things in life, about God, about... Uh, just the emotions that are coming up. Some people are very open to that. Some people don't want to talk about it. And I think one of the hardest things to learn is, that, especially as a former pastor, is that I don't have to have, you don't have to have all of the answers all of the time. And you don't have to have a perfect situation in order to speak. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, I planted, Apollos watered, but it is God who gives the increase. That last part is so important because sometimes we act about talking to somebody that we are responsible for that increase. We're the ones who have to somehow shape their hearts, get them to make a decision, get them to come to a place where they're ready to accept Christ. But that's putting a lot of pressure on ourselves and quite frankly, taking a lot of glory from the Lord. Uh, I think we have to be able to say, you know what? This is a planting moment. This is a watering moment. I do a lot of watering, do some planting, but God, through it all, brings that increase. And none of us know if something more is in process at that time. Most of the people I deal with, I deal with them once, just once. And I don't know where they are in their journey, but God knows. And so all I can do and say, okay, Mark, are you planting or are you watering? And see what the Lord does. Thank you. So I think what we've been trying to do tonight is trying to expand our horizons. And so if you've ever been one of those people who's thought, well, the job of mission is for somebody else, and we'll pray for them or we'll send money to them. or what? No. I mean, yes, and um, it's, it's the job of all of us all of us to live missional lives. We are all missionaries. We are all sent out to share the wondrous love of God 
with others. So I want to finish tonight's uh, session before we uh, toast marshmallows or whatever we're going to do on those, over those fires um, and take just 10 minutes. Um, so here's what we're going to do, and then I'll ask you to do it. So as we did earlier today, you're going to get this time into groups of three, not two, not four, but three. has to be three. Um, and we're going to take three minutes per person. So there's going to be uh, two minutes to, well, I don't mind how you share. What you're going to do is you're going to share where you might be called to be a missionary in your life, okay? And if you're not sure where that is, you can ask the others to pray for you to help you. Or, and, and if you can share an example of how you get to be a missionary, how you get to point to God in your daily life, that's great. And then one prayer request, and the other two people will pray for you. And then you take it in turns, okay? Is that clear? Okay, you've got 47 seconds to get into threes. <laughs>